Let's start our Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambodhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambodhasa Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambodasa. Ever since I started to practice meditation many, many years ago, most of the teachers were male, either monks or laymen. And so they tended to present the Buddha's teaching uh, from their male perspective. And so very frequently using stories of monks or men who realized the Dharma, who became enlightened. And so to balance out these a bit one-sided presentation. Tonight, I would like to talk about some women whose life completely changed when they met the Buddha or when they came in contact with the Buddha's teaching. Their stories are a source of great inspiration and at the same time, they show us that their problems were not uh, fundamentally different from the problems and obstacles that we are facing nowadays. So hearing what they had, hearing about what they had to go through provides us with a great deal of encouragement. It strengthens our determination to proceed on the path until we have overcome all defilements and have attained to complete liberation. The Buddha's teaching is to be used as guidelines which have to be practiced in order to profit from them. They are not just a set of doctrines that should be studied and learned by heart. But the actual value of the Buddha's teaching is the fact that his teaching gives us very practical and direct guidelines of how to deal with suffering, of how to overcome it, and how to attain enlightenment. At the time of the Buddha, his followers were a Sangha that was fourfold. There were monks, because there were nuns, 
Bikonis and there were lay follower men and women. And so at the Buddha's time the fact that women were allowed to practice a spiritual practice and were accepted as disciples was very revolutionary. At that time women were excluded from any spiritual practices or uh, holding religious offices. But prevailing to the contrary belief at that time, the Buddha stated very clearly that women had the same potential for enlightenment as men had. And so the many women and nuns who followed and practiced the Buddha's teachings, they proved that having a female body was not an obstacle to become fully enlightened. If one develops morality, concentration and wisdom, then it doesn't matter if one is born male or female. Enlightenment happens irrespective of superficial distinctions such as gender, caste, race, uh, or social status. Many of the nuns and laywomen have become models of compassion, wisdom, loving-kindness, or generosity. Quite a number of women entered the Sangha, became nuns, after their small children had died. At that time, infant mortality was much more common than it is nowadays. So their utter grief and desperation lit or sparked a strong wish not only to become free from that grief and lamentation, but to actually put an end to all their sufferings. For example, there was a mother called Ubiri. When her little baby, uh, little daughter died, she was overwhelmed with grief and desperation. But then the Buddha pointed out to her that at the same charnel ground, at that time outside the village or town, there was a ground where they just would throw away the corpses. So the Buddha pointed out that Ubiri had already wept over the loss of her children uh, for many, many past existences because Ubiri had acquired strong perfections in her past life. This short discourse of the Buddha was enough to turn the grief-stricken mother 
came to an arahant on that spot. She clearly saw the vastness of samsara, the cycle of birth and death, and she finally was prepared to leave it completely behind her. The story of Patachara is even more dramatic. She not only lost her two little children, but also her husband, her brother, and her parents. And so the death of her beloved ones was too much for this young woman, and she actually got crazy. But it was through the Buddha's compassion that she regained her mindfulness, and after listening to the Buddha's words, she attained to the first stage of enlightenment. The Buddha mentioned in that discourse that the tears that Patachara had wept over the loss of her beloved ones, that the amount of these tears was bigger than all the water contained in the four great oceans. So then Patachara, ordained as a nun, continued to practice and finally also became fully enlightened. Another stumbling block on the path to deliverance is one's attachment to physical beauty and then the resulting pride and conceit. Throughout the ages, women have used various means to enhance their physical beauty and to hide the signs of aging. Of course, this is a futile attempt to say that the body is not getting older. And so, if instead of using all these various means to trying to enhance the beauty or maintain the beauty, so if instead of cosmetics and lotions and moisturizers or facelifts, if one, you, if one would use one's um, understanding and mindfulness, then one could understand impermanence on all levels and wisdom would grow. So at the time of the Buddha, there were three women who were extremely beautiful, but they were also extremely attached to their beauty. And they were proud of being uh, so beautiful. I already mentioned the story of Ambapali, who was a prostitute for the Lichavi princess. Vimala was just a normal prostitute following in the footsteps of her mother. And she, uh, after then, she had given up 
that job and became uh, enlightened. Looking back on her life as a prostitute, she said in her own words, I was very proud of my beauty. Despisingly, I looked down on other women. I thought nobody matches my lovely figure. I beautified and adorned this body of mine. Then I stood at my door to catch my prey in the snare I spread out. When I stripped for the man, I was the woman of their dreams. In the case of Vimala, it was Venerable Mokalana who pointed out her blindness to reality. Venerable Mokalana told her that this body is actually nothing but a stinking and smelly heap um, filled with pus and blood and urine and feces, etc. But Vimala realized her vanity and she understood that this body was actually decaying incessantly, growing older. So too, she took up the ropes, practiced, and became fully enlightened. The third woman was Queen Kema. She was the main queen of King Bimbisara. King Bimbisara was actually a disciple of the Buddha and he had actually already attained the first stage of enlightenment. He was a Sotapanna. And so King Bimbisara wanted very much that King Queen Kema would also follow the Buddha's teaching. But Queen Kema, being very proud of her beauty, she didn't want to go and listen to the Buddha's discourses or words because she heard that the Buddha had nothing left over for beauty, that he despised beauty. And so she didn't want to hear any comments on her attachment to beauty. So she strongly resisted each attempt of King Dindisara to go and meet the Buddha or to go and listen to his discourses. So King Dindisara tried different ways and one way was that he ordered poems to be made describing the beautiful Veluvana monastery where the Buddha was residing because Queen Kema loved everything that was beautiful. So when she heard this poem describing the beautiful monastery, she got curious and wanted to go and see the monastery. So then one morning with some of her attendants, she set out to go and visit the Veluvana monastery, knowing 
that normally in the morning the Buddha was going on arms round in the town. So in this way she hoped not to encounter the Buddha. So when she arrived in the monastery, she and her attendants walked around and they were enjoying the silence of the monastery, looking at the beautiful and fragrant flowers, listening to the lovely sounds of the birds. And as they walked past the Buddha's kuti, uh, she wanted to go and peer inside. And as she went up to the door and looked inside, she saw the Buddha sitting there and a very young and extremely beautiful woman was fanning the Buddha. When she saw that uh, woman, she was so surprised to see somebody who was as beautiful as her or even more beautiful. So in great amazement, she stood there staring at this uh, most beautiful young woman. And then the Buddha, with his supernormal powers, he made this young beautiful woman slowly age. So she grew older, then the black hair started to turn gray and white, the skin started to have wrinkles, her teeth started to become yellow and teeth falling out, her back became bent and finally this very old and fragile woman um, had to use a stick to walk away but only after taking a few steps she fell down on the ground and was dead. Queen Kema was shocked. After a little while the Buddha addressed her saying, my beautiful Kema, just as the body of this old woman, so is your body uh, subject to grow older and decay. My dear Kema, there is nothing beautiful in this body, so let go of it. Let go of your attachment to this body and you will reach the peaceful abode of Nibbana. As Queen Kema listened to these words, her mind could grasp the meaning of these words and she clearly understood that her body was also of the nature of getting old and decaying. And the Buddha continued to teach her the Dhamma and by the end of it she had become a Sotapanna. So after that, 
she went back to the palace and she went to King Bimbisara. And she actually asked King Bimbisara for permission to ordain as a nun. And King Bimbisara, um, he was actually very glad and happy for her that she had realized the Dhamma. And so he happily gave her the permission to ordain as a nun. He was not sad that he would lose his main queen. So then, Venerable Kema continued to practice and also she eventually became an Arahant. And it was actually Queen Kema, or then Venerable Kema, who among the nuns, the bhikkhunis, was outstanding in wisdom. Like among the monks, it was Venerable Shariputta who was the foremost in wisdom. Among the bhikkhuni, it was Venerable Kema. In many of these stories, these women, these nuns, became enlightened either within a very short time um, of listening to the Dhamma or almost instantaneously when they met the Buddha and listened to his words. This was due to their accumulated perfections which they acquired over thousands of past existences. And during these existences, they had practiced and perfected generosity, morality, concentration, and wisdom. So, when they attained the first stage of enlightenment, or then full enlightenment, almost instantaneously, or within a short time of encountering the Buddha or his teaching, so then they just reaped the wholesome fruits of their past meritorious deeds. As such, it was not a miracle, but just the natural outcome of their arduous practice. But of course, not all the women or nuns became enlightened within such a short time. Many of these women or nuns had to practice uh, for many, many years, some of them almost their whole life, in order to reach the highest goal. There was, for example, a woman called Chita. She ordained as a young woman and practiced the Buddha's teaching. But she had to struggle and persevere for all of her life. It was only when she was already very old, when she climbed up to Vulture Peak, that finally arriving up there, very tired and exhausted, so to take a little rest, she leaned against the rock. 
And it was in that moment that all the veils, veils of ignorance were torn down and she became fully enlightened. Another woman called Dhamma, she wanted to become a nun in her younger years, but because she was married and her husband didn't give her the permission to ordain, her wish could only be fulfilled after her husband had passed away. So when she was already quite old, she finally became a nun. And she was quite frail. And when she went for arms round into town, she had to use a walking stick. One day, on her return to the nunnery, she tipped over a stone and fell down. But as she retained her mindfulness and continued to observe what was happening to her, seeing the constant arising and passing away of the phenomena, so by falling on the ground, she was freed from all of her suffering. She also became an arahant. Another uh, nun had to struggle for seven years. Her name was Venerable Siha, and she was overcome by thoughts of very strong lust. All the time when she was meditating, these thoughts of lust keep, kept coming up. And although she noted and observed them as instructed by the Buddha, she could not overcome them. So for seven long years, she was assailed by these thoughts of lust. She tried to be mindful to note them, but she just could not get over these thoughts. So finally, after seven years of struggling and trying very hard, she finally was so discouraged, so depressed, um, desperate, disappointed, that she took a rope, went into the forest, she made a loop on one end of the rope, and the other end she tied on one of the branches. And then she put the loop around her neck. And just in that moment, she was freed from all, not all, not only all her lust, but from all of her defilement. She had attained full enlightenment. Can you imagine what it means to be tormented by thoughts of lust for seven years, days and nights, not having one single moment of respite from these tormenting thoughts? Now that you have been here practicing for a week, you know how it difficult is to stay with a difficult thought or a difficult emotion for a sitting, or half a day, or even a day. So now, 
imagine that you continue that for another seven years. So here with her example, we see that one of the qualities that we need on the spiritual path is great patience and perseverance. Because it can be a very long and tedious journey that requires a lot of strength to persevere and not to give up. So all the stories that I have told you now have been from women who lived at the time of the Buddha. Now I'm going to tell you the stories of two women who from our present age. One of these women is uh, a nun, a Nepalese nun ordained in the Theravada tradition, actually in the Burmese tradition. Her name is Do Damavati. And, and she uh, is still alive, living in Nepal. The other woman is called Deepama, a woman who lived for many years in Yangon, Burma. She grew up in Bengal, present-day Bangladesh. She passed away some 15 years ago. So first, Dodamavati's story. What I admire in Dodamavati is her determination with that she just pursued what she actually wanted to do. Although her life was not so easy or not so smooth, she just did not give up to do what she wanted, to persevere and trying to overcome the obstacles that were placed in her way. Doda Mawati was born in 1935 in Patan, which is a little town just outside Kathmandu, in the Kathmandu Valley. She was born into a Buddhist family and already from a quite an early age she was interested in the Buddha's teaching. And so when she was about 10 years old, she even started to learn Pali from one Nepalese monk who had studied previously in Burma. About two, two years later, when she was about 12, from that Nepalese monk, she learned that in Burma there were many nunneries with many nuns. And just hearing that, she knew that she wanted to become a nun, that she wanted to go to Burma to ordain a nun and study the Buddha's teaching, the scriptures. But her father didn't give her permission to go to Burma and to ordain. But her wish to do it, to go there, was so strong that nothing could deter her from doing it. 
so with the help of her mother and one of her aunties, she and two of her closest friends, they ran away from home. At that time, there were 14, the three girls. So they just ran away. Her father was on a business trip in Kathmandu, so that day they ran away. Of course, when the father returned the next day, learning that his daughter had ran away, he wanted to go and catch up with her. But they already had left the Kathmandu Valley, and because at that time, that was in the 40s, there were just a few cars in the Kathmandu Valley, but further than that, there were no more roads. So, Dota Malvati and her two friends had a very adventurous trip to Kusinara, which is in India, northern India. It's the place where the Buddha uh, passed away. When they reached Kusinara, they went to the Burmese monastery there, and they told the Burmese monk what they had in mind, and so asked him to help, help them to bring them to Burma. And so the monk was quite uh, compassionate with them, and he promised that he would help them. But the three girls, they had no passport, and without the passport, it was impossible to go to Burma. So then he undertook to get a passport for these three girls. But it wasn't an easy thing to do. And so while Dodamalwati and her two friends were staying there, um, they continued to learn Pali, and also they started to learn Burmese. After about five months that they had been staying there, um, but before that, they actually already ordained as nuns in Kusinara because they thought it might be easier to get a passport to go to Burma. But it wasn't easier. So then after about five months, the two friends' mother came and a servant of Dodamavati's house. So and as they found the three of them there, they wanted to take them back home. The two friends had no choice. Their mother was going to take them home. But Dodamavati resisted strongly to go back home. So she stayed there the others left. And after those two friends had left, again she went to, to that uh, monk. That monk's name was U Buddha. And she told him that still she wanted to go to Burma and that he should help her to get there. And because U Buddha had promised 
to help her. He had no other choice. He had to keep his word. As it seemed to be impossible to get a passport for Dodamavati in Kusinara, they traveled to Calcutta, thinking that it was easier to get a passport for her there. Again, there was a Burmese monastery in Calcutta, and they stayed there. But still, it was impossible to get a passport for her because she was too young. And so, without a passport, they could not take a boat, they could not take an aeroplane to go to Burma. So the only way that was left was trying to go to Burma over land. So then, they left Calcutta and traveled to Assam, which made the border with Burma. Shortly after they had left Calcutta, another search party from her parents' house came and asking the resident monk in the Burmese Vihara if they had come across the Dhammavadi, that resident monk kept silent about the whereabouts of Dodamavati, maybe foreseeing that her stay in Burma would greatly benefit her and people in Nepal. So then Dodamavati and Udamavuda reached the Burmese border. There was no road going into Burma, it was just jungle. But they were lucky to meet with six Burmese elephant traders who just had brought elephants to the border and they were going to walk back into Burma. And so these elephant traders were very familiar with that jungle, they knew a path through it and they agreed to take Dodamavati and Udamavuta with them. They actually cared very well for the two of them and after a very strenuous six days walk through the jungle, they got to the first Burmese town. It was Nyechina in the north. And so when they arrived there, Dodamavati was surprised to find quite a big community of Gurkhas, uh, Nepalese people. They were happy to meet a Nepalese uh, girl, but after that, some of them found it quite strange that this young Nepalese girl or nun was traveling alone with a monk. And so they called the police and Dodamavati was arrested and put into prison. And shortly after that, the police headquarters in Yangon ordered Dodamavati be sent to Yangon. Udamavuda 
tried his best to explain the unusual uh, purpose of the journey, but to no avail. Luckily, Uda Mavuda knew some people in Yangon, and so he sent a telex to one of his supporters, telling him to please take care of Dodamavati. And luckily, that lay supporter had some uh, connections with the police headquarters in Yangon, and so he managed to get Dodamavati out of jail, and he even managed to get a passport for her. And after that, he took her and brought Dodamavati to a very famous and renowned nunnery in Molmain, which is southeast of Yangon. And so, finally, Dodamavati's dream had been fulfilled. She was a nun in a Burmese nunnery uh, studying the Buddha's scriptures. She was very bright, very intelligent, and so she passed all the exams that the nuns uh, had to do, also the monks do them, and after uh, about 14 years of studies, she uh, passed the so-called Dhammacharya exam. This exam is needed for Burmese nuns and monks to teach in the public. So then, at the request of her family, she returned to Nepal. She returned to Kathmandu, that was in 1963, and she then started to establish a nunnery. It wasn't so easy, but she was, again, she was determined to do it. And so then, over the years, she established a very lively community of Theravadan Burmese nuns and lay followers in Nepal. So, if you go to Nepal, to Kathmandu, and if you see nuns walking around in pink robes, so these are Dodamawati's uh, nuns. And about five or six years ago, she could establish a second nunnery, and that nunnery is in Lumbini, the birthplace of the Buddha. Now she is 70 years old and still very active in teaching and spreading the Buddha's teaching. I had the chance to meet her on a conference for Buddhist nuns and women, and actually she cannot speak English, but as she speaks fluently Burmese, so we could talk to each other in Burmese. 
than the other woman's life that I would, that I would like to share with you is Deepa Ma. Her life story is just extraordinary. I think a few contemporary women have undergone such a tremendous change in such a short period of um, time. Deepa Ma was born in 1911 in a small village in Bengal, present-day Bangladesh. It was not very far away from the Burmese border. She grew up in a Buddhist family and already as a young girl she showed a keen interest in learning and in Buddhism. But because she was a girl, um, first her parents didn't want or didn't send her to school because at that time girls weren't sent to school. It was only for boys. But because she was so keen to learn, uh, the parents let her go to school. So at the age of 12, she was taken out of school and she was married to a man from the neighboring village. He was 25 and he was an engineer and actually working in Yangon, in Burma. So she was married to him. His name was Ranjani. But and then, as it was also custom in their culture, she had to go and live with her husband's family, the same as, as, was, as it was custom at the time of the Buddha. But then, after one week of getting married, her husband had to return to Yangon to work. Deepa Ma was left with her parents-in-law. Uh, which were quite demanding. And she was only allowed very few visits to her parents' home. Imagine a young girl at the age of 12, 13. And after two years, when she was 14, she was put on a ship bound for Yangon to go and live with her husband. Although it was an arranged marriage, the two of them actually fell in love with each other. Ranjani was very loving and caring uh, of the Bama. So they were quite happy living together, but their marriage was um, just, there was one big problem. It was the fact that Deepa Ma could not conceive. She could not get pregnant. And for her, living in that uh, culture, for a woman not to get any offspring, especially no sons, was the worst thing that could happen to a woman. And so, as she could not get pregnant for many years, actually, the parents of her husband 
arranged another marriage with another woman. But Ranjani, really loving Deepama, he did not give in to his parents and he stayed with Deepama. When Deepama was 18, she got the news that her mother died. That was a great shock for her and she fell in a state of deep uh, sorrow and grief. And at the same time, she got typhoid fever. So she had to stay in the hospital for many months. When Deepa Mother died, she actually left a young baby, a young boy who was only one and a half years old at that time. And so because the father had, could not care for that young boy, he offered it to Deepa Ma and her husband to bring up this little boy as their own child. So then Deepa Ma and Ranjani cared for that little boy and brought him up. Deepa Ma and her husband living in Yangon, they were actively um, engaged in the Buddhist community. Like every year they sponsored two meals for the community. They also sponsored or paid the school fee for poor children of poor families and they offered their home as a shelter for those who had no home. They also um, chanted and kept the five precepts every day and they did other chantings together every day. Actually, from the time that Deepa Ma arrived in Yangon, she had a very strong wish to meditate. But her husband um, said that she could do it later when she had fulfilled all her social um, duties as a mother and wife. After the Second World War was over, the little boy that was actually Deepama's younger brother that they um, grew up, that they took care of, he was old enough to take care of himself. So he went back to Bangladesh and started his own family. So then Deepama again thought this would be the time to start practicing meditation. But then the big miracle happened. After more than 20 years of not uh, conceiving a child, she finally got pregnant. Of course, Deepama's and her happiness was great. And she gave birth to a little daughter. They were very happy, but after three months, the little daughter 
fell sick and died. Great was the shock and grief for Deepa Ma, and she started to develop a heart disease. Her health declined, but after four years, she got pregnant again, and she again gave birth to a girl, and they called her Deepa, which means light. And that girl survived, and because it was such a significant event for Deepa Ma and her husband, so it was from that time that she got her nickname, actually Deepa Ma is her nickname, because then her friends started to call her Deepa Ma, which actually means the mother of Deepa, Ma, mother. So, again, after a few years, she got pregnant again, and this time it was the all-important baby boy. But, unfortunately, at the time of birth, that little boy died. Deepa Ma sank into a state of great despair, and she also started to develop hypertension. Again, she asked her husband to, for permission to go and meditate, and still her husband said that she should wait. So. She had hypertension and had to stay in bed for many years. Her husband went to work during daytime and then in the evening he would take care of Deepa Ma and their little daughter, Deepa. One day when Ranjani came home uh, in the evening after work, he said, that he didn't feel very well. And within that evening, he died of a heart attack. So now, there, was, there she were, Deepa Ma. Within 10 years, she lost two children, her husband and her health. Now, she was a widow with a little daughter who was seven years at that time. At that time, Deepa Ma was crying a lot. She was utterly desperate, and the state of her health declined further. And actually, it was so bad that the doctor said that if it continued that way, she was going to soon she was going to die very soon. And so, Deepa Ma realized that unless she did something to relieve her grief and despair, she was going to die of a broken heart. And so, she looked around 
in the house looked at her dowry, the many, uh, the golden uh, bracelets and chains that she had, all the jewelry, looking at her silk saris, her golden saris, and she asked herself, when I die, what can I take with me? She even looked at her daughter Deepa, and then she made up her mind. She prepared to leave for the meditation center. So the next morning, she went over to her neighbor, handed her over the key of the house, and said, look, it's all yours. Take it to take care of my daughter Deepa. I'm going to meditate. And then she went to the meditation center. Deepa Ma thought, if she was going to die, why not better die in the meditation center while practicing meditation? But then things turned out a little bit different. On her second day in the meditation center, she was bitten by a dog. And because of that, then she had to go and get rabies injection every day. So every day she had to leave the center, go into town and get these injections. And because she missed the only meal that was served there, um, she got very exhausted and very weak. And so after a few more days, the monks told her to please go back home, take rest and regain strength. So then she went back home and because her daughter had been very upset about her mother's leaving. She stayed back home uh, for several years. But whenever she had time, she meditated according to the instructions that she was given at the meditation center. And sometime later, she learned that a family friend uh, who was also a Buddhist teacher had, was staying in the Mahasi Meditation Center in Yangon. It was actually Anagarika Monindra, who was also quite a famous meditation teacher, living in his later years in Bodhgaya. So she then invited Anagarika Monindra and told him his, her meditation experiences. And he encouraged her to continue with her practice. And by that time, one of Deepama's sisters had also moved to Yangon, that's the whole family. And so now having her sister and that family living in Yangon, she prepared again to go to the meditation center. So this time she could give Deepa, her daughter, into the care 
of uh, her sister Hema. And so then, going again to the meditation center, she started to practice again, but for the first two days, all she experienced was sleepiness, because since the time of the death of her husband, he had, she had been an insomniac, being unable to sleep. But now, in the meditation center, all she could do was falling asleep for two days. She did not give up, persevered, and finally, on her third day, she overcome, overcame her sleepiness and attained uh, quite deep concentration. And within a few days, she went through all the classical stages of inside knowledge and then attained the first stage of enlightenment. She became a Sotapanna. So finally, after three decades of searching for freedom, at the age of 53 years, after six days of practicing intensive meditation, Deepama gained a first glimpse of that sorrowless state called Nibbana. It proved to be a big transformation in her life, um, also regarding her physical health. Her high blood pressure returned to normal and her heart palpitations stopped to occur. She continued to stay at the center for another two months and then she returned home. And in the following year, she made frequent trips back to the meditation center and all the time at home, whenever she had, she had time, she practiced meditation. And then at her next intensive retreat at the center, she experienced another breakthrough only after five days of intensive practice she attained the second stage of enlightenment. And again, that um, marked a major transformation in her being. Having been a sickly, dependent, grief-stricken woman, she turned into this self-dependent, radiant, and very strong being. Her friends were astonished to see such a major transformation in Deepama and encouraged by her example, her friends and family also accompanied her to the meditation center. They started to practice meditation as well. So. Her sister, Hema, her daughter, and also Deepa Ma's daughter, they 
started to practice meditation. And so during a y- one year, they frequently went for retreats at the meditation center, and they also practiced at home. So, for example, the meals were taken uh, with complete mindfulness and in complete silence, the whole family. And so then during this time, all of uh, Hema's daughters and sons and Deepama's daughter, all of these six children, they also attained at least to the first level of enlightenment. In um, 1965, Mahasi Sayadaw wanted to train Anagarika Munindra in the supernormal power, which can be achieved by practicing the jhana. But Anagarika Monindra had already become a famous teacher himself, so he had many students, and so he said that he had no time. And so he proposed that Deepama, her sister Hema, and three of their daughters, that he wanted to teach them the supernormal power because he knew they all, um, their morality was good enough so that they would not misuse this supernormal power for doing any harm. And among Hema, Deepama, the three daughters, Deepama was the most adept. So, you know, the supernormal powers are things like walking through a wall, uh, sitting up in the air, um, multiplying one's body, making many bodies out of one, making one body again. So, apparently, Deepama would appear for interview with Anagarika Monindra by just walking into the room through the wall. Or she would materialize in front of Monindra out of the air. Or one time she appeared coming out of the floor as if she was coming out of water and actually her hair, her clothes, were dripping with water. So, a year later, Anagarika Monindra went back to India and then he took up residence in Bodhgaya. So then, um, the news that Deepama was quite an accomplished meditator spread and she became a teacher. Many of her friends sought her as a teacher. And one of her first students was her friend Malati. Malati 
was a young widow having six little children to raise. And so for her, it was impossible to leave the children and go and meditate in the center. But Deepa Ma gave her instructions of how she could practice at home. And especially, she gave her the advice that whenever she would breastfeed the youngest child, she should be extremely mindful of the sucking sensation of her baby at her breast. And because that amounted to many hours every day, the hoped-for result actually happened. Malati, her friend, realized the first stage of enlightenment, of just being a practicing mother, never having gone to a meditation center or retreat. Then, just a little bit later, the Burmese government forced all foreigners to leave the country. And so, Deepa Ma, her sister Hema, they had to leave Burma. Deepa Ma, with her daughter, Deepa, went to Calcutta and settled there. And also very soon, her fame as a accomplished meditation, meditation teacher spread and many people came uh, to seek teachings from her. She just lived in a very small apartment in the town of Kolkata and her little apartment was where she was teaching. And later on the first Westerners heard about her, so uh, teachers like Joseph Goldstein or Jack Cornfield or Sharon Salzberg went to meditate and uh, study with Deepa Ma. And they actually invited her a couple of times to the USA to teach at the IMS Meditation Center in Barrie, Massachusetts. After her second visit to the USA, her health deteriorated, and so she just stayed in her little apartment in Calcutta. Still people coming to seek her guidance. One evening, Deepa Ma was not feeling very well, and so her daughter, Deepa, asked her if it was all right to go, go and call the doctor. Deepa Ma finally agreed, but the doctor could not be found. Then one of the neighbors um, came also, and he started to pick, uh, he started to massage Deepa Ma's arm. And as he had been a disciple of he started uh, chanting and in his words 
he later recalled saying, Then Deepama asked me to touch her head. So I touched her head and started chanting the suttas that she taught me. When she heard me chanting, she bowed with her hands in prayer. She bowed toward the Buddha and then did not get up. So we both, Deepa and him, lifted her off the floor and found that her breathing had stopped. She had died in her bow to the Buddha. Her face was very calm and at peace. Deepa Ma was 78 when she passed away. That was 17 years ago. It's a great encouragement for us, still far away from deliverance, to hear the life stories of these uh, women. By their, by their examples, they inspire us with confidence in the transforming power of the Buddha and the Dhamma. So their lives demonstrate that the spiritual ideas described in the scriptures is not just a nice academic ideal, but that it is actually something that people like you and me can attain and realize. All these women, all these nuns, they just started as ordinary human beings, facing the same problems, having the same obstacles to bear with, having the same doubts. But through diligent practice, they overcame all the obstacles and they attained to a truly noble state. Due to the universality of the Buddha's teaching, we too can apply it to our life and through its transforming power we will become a bit kinder, a bit more compassionate, more loving and wiser. When we, see this, when we sow the seeds of our practice of generosity, morality, concentration and wisdom, then we can be sure to reap the fruits before long. What is needed is patience and perseverance in the face of obstacles. And we also need trust and confidence in the transforming power of the Dhamma. So with these words, let's finish this talk. May all of you be endowed with patience and perseverance, with trust and confidence in the transforming power of the Dhamma and attain the highest goal, namely Nibbana.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.